This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Well, we've made it to the end of another A-League season here on the Brisbane Football Review. Hello, everyone. It's James Scott and Adam with you on this uh, wintry evening here in the supposedly sunshine state. And well, I think we're all ready for a little bit of a off-season from the professional game, aren't we, Scott? It's the windy state this week, isn't it? As winter certainly starts with a, with a nice little, little buzz of coldness. How are I mean, you, James? I'm good. Meanwhile, defending his wall on the north is uh, Adam there by the uh, makeshift swimming pool by the looks of it on the Skype call. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish I was my swimming pool. Um, but but yeah, no, uh, ready ready for winter hibernation. Uh, and uh, we're, all, we're all rugged up and uh, yeah, so a few weeks off before we get at least some semblance of uh, football at the national level. Well, just, you know, I'm not trying to uh, hint at anything here, but if you do feel like taking your plugged in computer into the pool with you, by all means. Well, I thought that would get a better reaction out of you, Scott. Oh, I was... I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, tell your face. Anyway, (laughs) this is the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. We are here for our season review, and we'll be with you over the next 60 to, well, let's be honest, 90 minutes as we recap the uh, recently concluded A-League men's season. And we really should start off with... uh, Big congratulations to former Brisbane Raw coach and several former Brisbane Raw players uh, who were a part of the victorious Western United side that defeated Melbourne City in this weekend's grand final, Scott. Absolutely. Congratulations to former Brisbane Raw manager John Aloisi, who led Western United to the grand final win on Saturday night over Melbourne City. A couple of former Raw players you mentioned, obviously Dylan Wenzel-Halls, Jamie Young left last year, but also Steve Lustig, who was a championship winner with Brisbane Raw way back in the day as well, so couple of former Brisbane Raw players going very well. Congratulations to all of them on their win. They were very good this year, no doubt about that. And like any uh, proper Victorian club, there is a heavy uh, Queensland football influence in their staff as well, not to mention Michael Theo, the goalkeeping coach, and Mass Madoka uh, in strength and conditioning as well. I just going to say, yeah, like I said, it's Raw legends everywhere uh, uh, in that West United uh, team. But look, yeah, congratulations to them. They had to, they had to do it the hard way. And... We'll keep this uh, grand final recap where the Raw weren't playing uh, fairly short, but I, like it has to be said, you know, putting behind them the disappointment of not making, uh, not taking out the Premier's plate, which a fortnight from the end of the season, they looked odds on to do it. I, I think that showed, you know, a remarkable uh, mental resilience. And, you know, it is good to see John Aloisi finally breaking through as well because I think I speak for the three of us when I say like he was always you know very respectful and polite to us when he really didn't have to be but uh, and certain times when he could have jumped over the table at a press conference and throttled me for a couple of the questions I might have asked but he was always <laughs> I was going to say you got a death stare from him once or twice didn't you but I think in all seriousness they had a point to prove didn't they Western United this whole final series that they were close to winning the Premier League they didn't quite get there and the way it fell for them to get the chance to play both Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City and to beat both of them, I think it's something they can really look to build on. And in the grand final, they were clearly the best side, James. I mean, Alex Dnipriovic was outstanding for them and helped lead them to the win. But they were clearly on a mission and they and they achieved that. And then hopefully now they can look to build that fan base out a bit more. I think they've got their training and smaller stadium than originally planned coming early 
in 2023. Hopefully that's now a sign where they can really plant down some roots and actually build build the club because this is a great foundation for them now winning the league in their third year. That it is. I think it's a 5,000 capacity stadium that will be used for A-League women's and NPL matches as well. So that'll be a good starting off point for them. And truth be told, if they're actually able to sell out that stadium, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a few A-League men's matches there either because, you know, it is at least trying to create some sort of demand uh, to go and see the reigning A-League champions. Anyway, that grand final did wrap up what has been, I would say from you know a fan's perspective, a fairly trying uh, A-League men's season overall and A-League women as well. There were postponements, uh, both COVID and natural disaster related as well. Um, it was essentially season one of A-League 2.0 under the control of the APL and we can't really sugarcoat it. It wasn't a great season, especially after so much promise. If you go back and listen to our season preview back in November, you know, we were all hopeful that this was going to be the start of a new era, but I think the big uh, lesson I took from uh, this season as a whole is the fact that, you know, this is essentially a startup company that probably was a little bit undermanned at the start of the season. Then when you had uh, COVID running through, not just the league, but the staff at uh, head office, it just made what was already going to be a pretty difficult task next to impossible. Look, I think uh, in the in the wash-up of it, I guess the, the uh, classic cliche, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think our expectations of being football fans in this country, I think we let ourselves believe that the new era... In, in the independence, which is the you know, the Australian professional leagues, I think we sort of you know in the backdrop of what is was still you know the pandemic and you know sort of you know, issues with with you know, proper funding and resourcing. Uh, look, I think at the end of the day, I think you know maybe we let we sort of got felt a bit let down rather than sort of saying, well, it really is a, a year zero, and and year one pretty much starts up next year because I think uh, while while you can point out a number of your know, positive aspects, I think it did I think there was you know, a few negatives in that. And I think that those those negatives that you know that could be wished away with excuses, I think they go out the window come start next season. Scott I'll start with the positives, James. The positives was what happened on the field. It was a really good quality year on the field with a lot of really good young players from, from around the country getting their chance and really taking their opportunity. Think of Young Quoll down at Central Coast Mariners, Irukunda at Adelaide, a couple of examples, non-Brisbane related for people, but those players like that who really got their opportunity and really shone gave gave the gave sign that there is hope for the quality on the field to continue to be very very good. Off the field, I completely agree with you. It was it's been a trying at best and troubling at worst year, hasn't it? There's been a lot of issues with the broadcasting, with scheduling, with some of the priorities for those running the competitions. I think there's a lot to look at and a lot to work on. And it's interesting. You said football fans were expecting this to be a big boom year in the first year of the APL. I think part of that is because the first year of the A-League, it was like that. You think back to 2005, it was genuinely like that. This has been very, very different. And, well, the first thought I um, come up with that, though, you think back to the first year of the A-League, that was also Australia ending their World Cup drought. There was so much more to get excited about in terms of it all being new. Now we've got a decade and a half of, you know, I would say issues that have left 
quite a few people jaded and frustrated with the overall running of the competition. And look, I, I'm not going to say that... I, I do kind of feel like there was a certain point where the APL might have oversold the potential prospects of uh, what the competition was going to be this year as well. But conversely, I feel like if you take out all of the things that were out of their hands, like, you know, for instance, the Omicron wave of the pandemic, or is it the Pi wave? I forget which... The third wave. Yeah, whatever wave of the pandemic that swept through the competition around Christmas and New Year's, and also, like, that isn't going to happen next year. At least we certainly hope not. You know, I've read about monkeypox. I'm not going to... uh, I'm not going to go, like, some and deny science, but uh, anyway... Can I just give you the alternate view to that? Because there were other competitions running over the summer. Take the NBL, for example. They had the same problem with the Omicron wave that the A-League had, and yet they had a season where they had massively increased TV ratings, massively increased crowd attendance, and a grand final record crowd. So while it was very, very difficult around the turn of the year for any professional sports, no doubt about that, as 2022 got going and things opened up, there was an opportunity and a path there for sports to be able to begin to grow their crowds and attendances and some sports were able to do that unfortunately it seemed like the A-League weren't quite able to do that I'm going to say in some defence as well I feel like the NBL is probably the anomaly to the norm because all I keep seeing online is how um, especially crowds at you know the two major football codes um, the AFL and NRL they are struggling for numbers as well it's not just a football only issue so that does have to come up as well. And, you know, from a Brisbane perspective as well, you know, look, this this isn't a Brisbane-only issue, but let, let's call it for what it is. Because of the fact that uh, sports fans in Australia especially are spoiled for choice, they can be choosy about what games they go to. And if you've got a side that has struggled to produce the results, you know, it's not the easiest thing to get out to Redcliffe, um, you know, and... I do kind of feel like the level of forgiveness that people were willing to show uh, Channel 10 and Paramount Plus wasn't as high as possibly what you might have seen from other sports with an established relationship with their broadcaster as well. Because, look, I, I've said, you know, Paramount did have plenty of issues and there's a lot for them to work on between now and whenever the new season starts, um, just purely from a tech perspective, let alone anything else. But overall, I do kind of feel like just, yeah, I feel like there's just so much to work on. I do hope that they're going to try and prioritise as well rather than settling in for, like, trying to solve every problem in the next three months. I think also, I think what it comes down to as far as you know, the the biggest issue was the the scheduling and the, the the sort of lack of consistency. That you know when when the um, when the Omicron wave sort of you know really bit in, you know at the end of the day we scheduling eighty something games on the men's side. Um, that that like I said that will jade any supporter you know that are rustled on, little known the casual supporters. You know the actual question. When is the when is the A League on? Oh, it's it's not their team is not playing this week because of this and that, you know, and whatnot, and that that could become really frustrating. So so I do think I do think that while yeah it was hard to get around that, I do think that the APL probably need to get tougher quickly and and sort of state you know what these game this show must go on. 
And if, like I said, if it means, you know, dragging off, you know, 10, 10 players from, you know, the local leagues to fill in for a week or so, then so be it. I think at the end of the day, I think, I think there was almost like a thought that, oh, the fans will be forgiving if you just keep on kicking the can down the road and eventually get games on. And, Isn't that the uh, AFL's policies? And one of the teams had to do that, basically? Pretty, yeah, pretty much. I don't watch much of it, but didn't, didn't someone have to do that? Pretty sure it's West Coast. So that might have to be the policy next year of there's no more yep. it or- no more pandemic-related breaks. You've just got to play through no matter what. It already is. They changed that at the end of March because there was a criticism, I think, from Newcastle when they were down uh, in terms of players and the APL basically said, no, like, we cannot afford any more postponements. And they were right. They, 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 they couldn't. They winning that game. Yeah, they beat <laughs> Sydney FC from memory. But yep. that, that was a policy change in late March, and yeah. I think that is going to be the way... Uh, forward now, where... and I think, uh, and, to, and for mine, that was probably a couple of months uh, too late. That you now, at the end of the day, I think, I think it's very, very clear. Unlike in other leagues around the world, midweek football for the A League just does not work. Um, people see it more as a hassle than you know than those who are dedicated to it. So they, they've they've got to pretty much uh, somehow safeguard and protect the schedule at all costs. Because in certain other leagues, the midweek games are quite often the biggest games of a season, like continental games and all the rest of it. When they start overseas, they start playing regularly scheduled league games. Quite often, they have lesser attendances as well. So I think, I think there's certainly something they have to look at there in terms of midweek games have to be at a bare minimum next year. I don't know how many games the rule had moved this year, James, but I imagine it was a fair few because there was a lot of midweek games and games rescheduled and all the rest of it, and that. Certainly made it very difficult from a Brisbane perspective to get a to get the fan base engaged when you've got a, a schedule released late in last year before the season, which basically bared no resemblance to what actually happened in terms of the rollout of the games. I know, as as someone who had to uh, update the fixtures on the Ladbrokes blog, that was a very very fun game every week. Going, nope, that game's postponed. Nope, uh, this game's now around twenty four fixture or something, and look. Well, I will offer a bit of a mea culpa as well because like, because of my job where I get to write about and talk about the A-League and stuff um, at work, where you know I found it a little bit easier to keep track of uh, when the games were on because I was looking it up pretty much every day and I was also, you know, I'll give the A-League social accounts credits, they were always posting about, okay, we've got these games coming up here, there, uh, you can catch them all on Paramount Plus Plus, these games are on Channel 10, etc. But the minute I went on paternity leave in March, admittedly with, uh, you know, an, another distraction uh, in the house as well that was occupying quite a bit of my focus, uh, it has to be said. But um, I did actually, I did find it much tougher to keep track of when I wasn't, you know, writing previews and all of the other stuff um, for those games. But the point on kickoff times, and this is something that, really does bug me as well is the fact that I keep seeing one of the biggest issues the A-League has to fix is kickoff times but I don't get what seems to be the complaint about kickoff times everyone wants the same uh, kickoff times week after week after week they've had that in the initial draws you know that there are going to be games like going on Sydney time there's going to be a game at 7.45 on a Friday night 5 o'clock on a Saturday 7.45 on a Saturday, and then, uh, what is it, 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock Sydney time on a uh, Sunday, and that just changes for Queensland-based fans with daylight saving. I'm left to wonder, 
What are the ideal kickoff times as well? Because apparently there is some like golden window of about five minutes that people want games to kick off in, but they can't all kick off at the same time. So I, I would actually love to get some responses on um, Brisbane Football Review social accounts. What would be the ideal layout for kickoff times? Absolutely. Please send us through that on uh, socials, Facebook and Twitter and Brisbane, Brisbane Football Review at gmail.com if you want to send through any suggestions on that. James, one thing I would say is that one thing, one thing I did notice over the course of the season in terms of complaints over the kickoff times was when there was two or three games on a Saturday, for example, two kicking off at the same time, but nothing on a Friday, then why is there no A-League on this day sort of thing when there's two or three games on one day and then there's none on the other days around it? And I get the fact that part of that is they have to play them on those days because of the three-day rule and all the rest of it, but that seemed to be the the crux of a lot of people's complaints, James, of that it went from the games spaced out, as you're describing, to three games on one day and then there's none on either side of it. That seemed to be the complaint most I, people had. I do believe that was also in part because of the necessary rest turnaround from all the midweek games as well. And that and, and that comes and that comes back to safeguarding the schedule. Look, you don't have to worry about the seven two hour rule if you if you're playing the games when they're scheduled. Yeah, you know, that that's again that that's a that's part of it. Is that it, and that was a big reason why the schedule got so jumbled and you had yeah, three games on at the same time kickoff, but nothing on a Friday night. Because if teams play on Wednesday, they can't play on Friday. So, again, that goes back to the original point of safeguard the schedule at all costs. Yeah, and I just keep going back to, though, like, this is back, going back to when the Raw were playing at Suncorp as well, they'd say 6.45 kickoffs are too early for people to get to if they've had something on during the day. But then when the kickoffs move back to 7.45, it's too late. I just don't get... Like, what would be the ideal kickoff time? Because to me, it just seems like there are too many people wanting an excuse to not go to games. And I know, like, there have been issues, you know, with security at certain venues. We saw that um, uh, kid in Melbourne City in the semi-final get harassed by five cops who were trying to justify their presence at the ground. But overall, like, Scott, I just don't seem to understand what people want from kickoff times as well because it's either too early too late too hot too windy too cold what is this golden hour uh for games to start at yeah i'm not sure i'm confused i'm i'm confused what people want i mean i think the the preferred kickoff time is somewhere between 6 30 and 7 30 isn't it but again if you go 6 30 people say it's too early you go 7 30 they'll say it's too late it's just it's one of those things where you're never going to please everybody and i think Clubs actually need to. I think most people, most clubs have done this of identifying which time slots work best for them, and I think that's what they have to go with from now on. It, and that maybe they have to allocate it better. The point that I was saying earlier about some fans not understanding why there were no games on a Friday but three on a Saturday, maybe they have to explain that better and say, look, teams this year are choosing their kickoff times based on what works best for them in terms of crowds. And that's the way it's going to be. But they've also got... That's one aspect, James. The, the in-person attendance is one thing. You've also got to make sure there's people watching it on, t- on the television as well. So it's, it's always a balancing act, isn't it? I know everyone wants to focus on the crowd figures, but the TV figures also have to be strong. They do. And, <coughs> Adam, you've got one last thing to say? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it comes down to, especially now in the, in the new era where basically you've got one game on free-to-wear and five other games, well, six if you include that free-to-wear game, you know, streamed. It's at the end of the day, you know, 
Give, like I said, one of the options that are available to the APL, if it's going to keep everyone happy, is basically play six games simultaneously. If, if that's what's going to keep if that's what's going to keep everyone Do it on the last happy. day for a start. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Well, that's the first complaint, is that they want six games simultaneously for the final day of the season. You know what? If the fans only want to show up on 7 o'clock on a Saturday night, you know, across the country, then give it to them. And then, and then, and then we'll start hearing the complaints of, oh, there's no games Friday night. There's no games. It's, it's like, you're right. I think the APL would almost be banging their heads up against the wall saying, what do the fans want? It is like dealing with... They want all-star games, James. Bring out Barcelona again. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, I, I think uh, the APL might be feeling at certain points like it's dealing with a three-month-old that can't quite communicate clearly what it wants. Not that I know a whole lot about that. <clears throat> so you, can, you can run the APL then. <laughs> uh, the, the, give, give them another season. I think uh, we'll, uh, look, we're looking forward to a bounce back next year as well. But just on that as well, like... You're saying play all the games simultaneously. Do you remember the meltdowns we had in that first month of the season and still continued all throughout the year with the fact that people couldn't get their heads around the fact that there were two games at 7.45 on a Saturday night? In a full, in a full weekend of fixtures, no less. Like Some of the comments you heard, like no respecting football competition in the world would play two games at the same time. You're right, some leagues only play five games at once. Yeah, there, that was actually <laughs> some... play a whole round at 3pm on a Saturday afternoon, for example. Yeah, there were some complaints I saw at the start of the season from supposedly, like, like rusted-on football fans, both of Australian and European competitions, that didn't agree, didn't think that any other competition in the world would be stupid enough to play games simultaneously. Oh, God, I hope, I hope they weren't around 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think... It all just comes back to what you were saying, though, Adam, where, you know, if you can keep, you know, of the 140-odd regular season games that will get played in the 2022-23 A-League men's season, if you can keep 99.8% of them uh, all together, because, look, yeah. the, as we can all attest, the weather here is a little bit back-crap crazy. I kind of think at some but point... I, but to, yeah. your, to your point as well, I'd almost say that, if that comes to the other point, it's about, it's about stadiums. Is that if you got clubs playing at stadiums that are you know state of the art, like obviously Sydney FC moving to the new Sydney Football Stadium for next season, the rumours about the Raw potentially playing a bulk of their games at Suncorp, all of a sudden that weather issue also becomes an issue, becomes a non-issue because we we know Suncorp Stadium apparently can handle a downpour of 150 mils of rain per hour, so. Like, it's, it's only going to be extraordinary circumstances where it actually becomes an issue of safety of players and fans getting to the venue where you're going to have disruption. So I think, again, I, my, I think my takeaway going forward for next season is going to be, and I'm going to repeat over and over, is that safeguard the schedule. You safeguard the schedule, everything else flows along. But I think I'll, I'll just add one additional point, is that what the APL and Channel 10 need to figure out as well is that I think the idea of their free-to-air game going across multiple, um, going across multiple sort of markets and different games in different markets? I don't think that works. I think they've just got to pick one game and make it national. Yeah, maybe even if you move the simultaneous kickoffs to five p.m. on the Saturday, and then you have the uh, national game, like like what they do with you know the NFL, where you have that lead-in game, like yeah. the. You know, afternoon games are all the lead-ins to the prime time Sunday night football game on NBC. 
That, no, that, that would make more sense, wouldn't it? You have the yeah. you, do, you have two or three games simultaneous, then everyone watches the the prime time game on Channel Seven, which in oh, Channel Ten, sorry, which presumably should be the match of the round. Yeah. yeah, and I am also hoping that you know we'll see a few more options spread out because and that was you know in part down to circumstance as well in terms of the, only some games were able to go ahead, but you would have uh, a fairly... I think, like, six of the first ten rounds or something, it was Sydney FC getting that Saturday night free-to-air game. Now, to their credit, they did make the uh, smart change of going regional for their free-to-air game as well when it was a split kickoff. So, if it was a Sydney team, you'd be seeing that. If it was a Melbourne team, you'd be seeing that in Melbourne. Yeah, I don't... I don't I personally, I don't agree with that. I, I think you designate... What I, and that also comes... That also comes back to Channel 10 as well, not not publicising, oh, in round 22, it's going to be this game. Have some flexibility with your free-to-air game as well. Announce it for the first six six weeks and then and then change it up based on season. So... Yeah, you go the first 16 weeks or something, Adam, where you say for the first 12 to 16 weeks, these are yep. the Saturday night primetime games. And in that window, everyone has to appear once. Yep. In that first 16 weeks. The end of the season after that, pick the best game. If that happens to be Sydney and Melbourne every week, tough. Mm. If they're the two teams at the top, they're the teams you want to you want to promote the most because you want to put the best teams on the in that time slot. Too bad. As as a Raw fan, if the Raw if the Raw are playing at um are playing at seven thirty and the um I guess say, say for example the Big Blues on, I'm still watching the Raw game. But yeah. so I, I'm a Raw as as a Raw fan. But for the casual fans and those who teams are not involved, if they want to watch the the, the national game. So be it. I, I think at the end of the day, I think it just we've got to get out of this mindset of the Foxtel days where every game exclusively live. And the reason for that was not a football reason. It was a television reason. It was because Foxtel wanted every game, you know, back-to-back, every game exclusively live. The, the, the days of, you know, of live streaming means that we don't have to do that anymore. And my final point on this as well is I, I think... You know the viewership habits are evolving, as you mentioned, Adam. Like we've discussed this many times before, even in the uh, final days of the Foxtel deal. I found myself I was watching the Raw every Raw game, and then maybe one other game every two or three weeks, depending on what was on, because you know I wasn't making I was making it appointment viewing. I feel like if they can get you know the average viewer up to watching. Like their club's game plus two others in the weekend. I think that would be a win. Whether it's, you know, you watch your team play on the Saturday afternoon, the free to wear game on a um, Saturday night, and then, like, if you've got an intriguing game on Sunday, that's a win. Yeah, I'm not going to move on to talk about the rest of the competition and the teams, James, but I will say one more thing on Channel 10. They've got to work out in the off season there free-to-wear coverage and the advertising of when they go to ad breaks and what that looks like because too often this year it was a mess they started off with the whole drinks break thing and they got caught out with that and they changed to this new strategy and they missed crucial moments at the back end of the season they've got to sort that out and get that right as well yeah no they do or again you know just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here i'll give danny townsend uh, a lot of uh credit as well where he has fronted up quite a lot of times to very, very hostile fans on Twitter and said, look, we know that these are the issues. Like, I'm sure he's probably got like a Word doc on his list of just all the things that have popped up this season. 
and saying like, okay, well, we've got, this will be a quick fix here. We'll have to do a little bit more work on that. And, you know, now that he is full-time with the APL, with his successor being appointed at Sydney FC, I feel like that's going to be one of those other subtle things as well. The one point that I will also say, I don't think the advertising for this year was lacking. I think it was done differently where, you know, you weren't going to be seeing the clubs and leagues taking out advertising space in, you know, the local newspapers. I think they were trying to do a lot more targeted Facebook campaigns to people that have shown an interest in interacting with uh, football and the A-League's pages and whatnot. I just don't buy into the fact that there was a willful... I don't buy into the fact that there was no marketing and promotion of the league this year. I honestly feel like I saw just as much, if not more, as I had in previous years. And, yeah, I kind of think that maybe it was just a bit of... Like, you shouldn't be getting questions in April going, what time are the games on? I don't know where they are. How do I watch them? And that last one really did stick out to me where, yeah, if, if you didn't know by April, then you clearly weren't paying a whole lot of attention or were actively trying to avoid it. I, th- I think it's the case, Sophie. I think you can really tell that the the APL marketing team it's a it's a more um, I guess generation next sort of you know sort of vibe. No, that's not no, that's not certainly not a bad thing. Um, but I do think as well that I think in the pursuit of you know sort of you know marketing to the modern age, I think they did forget somewhat uh, about the traditional marketing. You know, at the end, in your face, you know, up you know up in lights, you know, up on you know billboards, you know in you know, at the most, at the busiest, you know, intersection in town. I think that will sort of let go for more social media marketing, uh, targeted marketing, and all that. And I think, I think that, that yeah, that I guess that that's it, it works a certain point. But if you weren't looking for it or you weren't engaging with it, uh, you probably wouldn't know it, it, it happened. Obviously, yeah, I, I agree that you know some people are just idiots and they and they and they just make up excuses, but. I think in most cases as well, I think the more sort of, you know, the older sort of, you know, older sort of football supporters, I think half the time, yeah, because it wasn't in newspapers, it wasn't, you know, in billboards, it wasn't in the traditional sense, I, I think it, it, I think a lot of it was missed. I think it's something they, they can't ignore, but I guess kudos for at least trying to, you know, to get with the times and market it, you know, to a next generation. Well, two points on that. I... I kept getting notifications when like the Raw would post a event for their next home game and I would always see when like the you know team there would be updating the cover photo of next home game coming up in two weeks against Central Coast or whatever I like I still saw an awful lot of that um I, and like actually getting notifications of oh Brisbane Raw have added an event you might be interested in or something and if you keep interacting with those pages that's how you yeah. get the uh algorithms on the social accounts um, trying to target that. Similarly, like talking about targeting the younger uh, audience, well, that was pretty obvious from day one where, you know, they did that whole Here Comes the Future thing with that song that I feel like would have been just as uh, stuck, like just as appropriate on Triple J all season rather than being played around A-League grounds. And to be honest, like it was actually the first time where I kind of felt like the A-League just wasn't targeting its marketing at me, a football fan. But I also look at it and go, I'm not really the sort of person that they need to be targeting ads at. I'm actively engaged. 
I'm going to know when the games are on. I'm going to, you know, I really want to try and get out to as many games as I can, watch games on TV, like, when I can. I'm not really... And same for you two as well. You're not... We're not really the crowd that they should be targeting um, with their marketing because we... Like, we know what's going on. They need to be targeting the football fans that don't necessarily know what's going on and need those little pushes to try and get themselves into uh, or out to games or, at the very least, tuning in on TV. Yeah, we do need to move on, but you're right. If they're targeting up the three of us with their advertising, they're doing it wrong because we're actively engaged. I Basically, the only thing I saw was the Facebook advertising. Apart from that, I didn't see too much. But again, there's no reason to target me with an advertising campaign because I'm going to be there anyway. Hopefully it, hopefully it does actually get the next generation actively involved, James. That's the most important thing, and we won't find that out in the next few years as that strategy continues to, to be rolled out. Yes, and I will take your hint, Scott, because that is the second time you brought it up. Let's move on. Um, and rather... Why do you still take hints? <laughs> of course I do. I'm married. Not to me, you're not. No, but I know, I, I know when there's a uh, hint being given to me with the subtlety of a sledgehammer. Anyway, um, I'll put my sledgehammer away. There's a grab. Anyway, um, that definitely won't come back to. <laughs> that won't come back in next season's intros, I'm sure, Scott. Oh, good. Anyway, uh, other 11 clubs. Now, we have talked quite a bit about um, Western United, their triumph as well. I don't really want to go through club by club and say, oh, this was good, this was bad. So instead, over to you, Adam. What was your most interesting... Like, what was your standout um, club that wasn't Western United or Melbourne City? What stood out for you from the rest of the league? Look, I um, I actually became a bit of a fan of Central Coast Mariners. Um, I think that they... I think they actually, for a club that supposedly had no money, no resources, no fans, they really showed what it is to be a football club in the A-League in, in, this, uh, in these modern times. You know, good young up-and-coming players, you know, good visa player veterans, you know, and those, that, that, um, sort of that solid, sort of, you know, I guess, you know, experienced veteran. And I think, I think, you know, it's a pity they didn't, get, they didn't get a lot further than they did because I think they were... They were, they were very, very good as as a club. I think that certainly from where they were uh, a number of years ago, I think it certainly shows that you know for any club that's you know struggling at the moment that you know it doesn't take much other than to believe in your young players and you know and a bit of you know a bit of, sort of stealth recruiting can sort of get you back on top. And I also thought you know Nick Montgomery. I don't think he gets enough praise for his, the job he did in his first season at the Mariners. Um, so I guess uh, a quick a quick. Um, Sort of honourable mention, I think Adelaide as well. I think in the same boat. And biggest disappointment for me this season by a long, long way, Western Sydney Wanderers. Oh my God, pick up your act, Scott. Yeah, I was just going to say New South Wales is where it is for me. Adam, what Adam said about Central Coast, I completely agree with. But I would say almost the same about Newcastle. Look at the guys like Daniel Pena, Becca Mikkeltadze. Those the impact those two players had along with Arthur Pappas in Newcastle. At the beginning of the year, I said Newcastle were a mess, and I had no idea. How they, where they were going to go, but those two players, along with the direction of Arthur Pappas implementing the Ange Postecoglou style in Newcastle, has been absolutely fantastic, and I've really enjoyed watching them as well as the Mariners this year. Disappointment of the year. Look, I'm not even going to go anywhere near Perth. I'm not, that's just that's a whole separate mess. But the three Sydney clubs across the board, Sydney FC. This was the year where they fell, where they just tipped over the edge. We saw with Brisbane eventually after a, a period of success, they tipped over the edge. The same thing happened for Sydney FC this year. They're 
They're great players, just got a bit too old. Western Sydney, I agree with Adam, they were a complete shambles. They're obsessed with winning the off-season, aren't they? Western Sydney Wanderers trying to bring in big name after big name, and it just does not seem to work for them. They might want to try and building a team, not a collection of big names. And MacArthur, I'm intrigued to see where they go. Now that now that um, oh, Ante Milicic has retired, I forgot the coach's name, now that he's moved on, it's interesting to see how they go because they've struggled with crowds. They've been a solid team. So those three for me have been a bit disappointing, but full marks, Central Coast and Newcastle, they were superb. You can't wait to see what, what York does at uh, MacArthur. That's a, that's a big job and that more than just on, on the pitch. Yeah, it, it's a huge uh, task as well, especially um, yeah, trying to work out how that's all going to um, unfold. Um, I said we weren't going to go through all 11 clubs, but I feel like Scott just knocked off the bulk of them. I'm just focused on one state club. <laughs> not my fault half the league is in one state. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the standout for me, and this is a fairly begrudging admission, but the popolution down at uh, Melbourne Victory has been nothing short of astonishing. So much so that I kind of think they need to enjoy Popovich while they've got him because... I feel like he's going to be the next Socceroos coach, but more on that at another time. Um, yeah, that that for me was a standout of just how quickly he was able to turn Melbourne Victory into a powerhouse club again. Uh, FFA Cup winners, the last FFA Cup winners, as it turns out. And um, yeah, I kind of... It was kind of expected though, wasn't it, with Victory and Popovich this year? It was, but I think it still, it still was impressive that it actually worked because how often do we see... Uh, a lot of those quick rebuilds wind up, you know, blowing up in uh, the club's perspective face. I, I actually thought it was probably one year away. I thought they'd probably be where they are now in one year's time. So that's, yeah, look, I, I do agree. It's uh, Melbourne Victory's turnaround under uh, Popovich has been uh, extraordinary. But then again, it is Melbourne Victory. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, and look, the, the individual uh, storyline that I... Can't uh, I kind of have to follow on from Adam here? Jason Cummings, how much fun is he? Like, I know we've spoken about the um, boosts of the young players and everything, but Cummings has just been a lot of fun. I'm fairly certain that I couldn't survive, you know, an hour at a bar with him, but I'm guessing, you know, well, I probably couldn't survive it 20 minutes marking him on a football pitch, but he has been a bit of a breath of fresh air, and there was no better landing spot for him than uh, Central Coast Mariners. Yeah, you and Graham Arnold clearly the two people in Australia who couldn't spend time around him. He's not the soccer <laughs> squad either, but he, for very different he's had reasons, a massive though. Impact for the Mariners, what's that, sir? For very different reasons, though. That's true. Um, but yeah, I think like that's been uh, a lot of fun as well, and I, I actually kind of feel like most clubs did a really good job bringing in some sort of um, no- notable recruitment that the fans were able to get behind. Um, I still, I'm still not sure if he's actually any good, but Kalava, the victory keeper, you think about Prijevic at Western United. Um, you know, look, I'm technically counting uh, Craig Goodwin as a recruit for Adelaide United, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, but look, for, for mine, for mine, actually, I, I actually, from Team 1 to Team 12, I think the emergence of young players for every team, I think that that's for mine the big the big takeaway on the pitch. Even even Perth, who you know sort of you know they sort of, they were clearly the bottom team for a long way out. But even you know players like a Josh Rawls and Cal Timmons, you know those sort of players who have been in part of their academy, you know getting you know, getting you know sort of minute major minutes and then getting moves to Europe. I think I think every every club 
I think, across the league, brought through young players. I think next season, you, you're almost fascinated to see, okay, do they go on with it or they suffer you know, sophomore syndrome? Yeah, exactly. There is a lot to uh, look forward to from that. Now, I actually left my team of the season on a piece of paper upstairs, so I'm frantically trying to remember who it was. So you know what that means, Scott? Yep. You get to go first. No problem. I've got one in front of me, so I'll go first. Uh, in goal, I had Jamie Young. I thought he was superb for Western United all year long. And, and for me, he's the best shot stopper in the league. So back four of Jason Guerrier, Leo Lacroix, Kai Rolls, and Jason Davidson. Midfield three of Josh Berlanti, Daniel Pena, and Jake Brimmer. And the front three of Becca Mikkel, Tadze, Craig Goodwin, and Alexander Priovic. With a bench of Birrigidi, Amaya Jameson, Clayton Lewis, Tilio, Dagasino, and, J- and Jamie McLaren, coached by John Aloisi. Fair enough. Adam? Yep, so my, my team's fairly similar. Uh, in goals, uh, Jamie Young. Uh, the back four of Lewis Miller, Leo Lacroix, Curtis Good, and Jason Davidson. A midfield of Jay O'Shea, Anthony Caceres, and Florian Berenger. And the forward line of Becca Mikkeltadze, uh, Jamie McLaren, and Craig Goodwin. And on the bench, Mark Berrigidi, Adrian Marappa, uh, Ben Garuccio, Ulysses Davia, Jake Brimmer, Nick D'Agostino and Garang Wall. Okay, I've frantically thrown together what I think was mine, or near enough to anyway. Jamie Young in goals, Ben Garuccio, uh, Curtis Good, Leo Lacroix and Jason Davidson. The midfield, Brimmer, Pena and O'Shea. And up front, um, Daggers, McLaren, Goodwin. But really, like, it, it was a nice uh, bit of competition up there as well. Like, you could have also thrown in Priovic, Mikkeltadze, Cummings, um, and that, not even mentioning some of the young guys, like Quoll, Irakanda, etc., from some of the other clubs as well. So, frantically threw that together, and yes, I did have to make sure that there was a Brisbane player in my team of the season, and Jay O'Shea was far and away the most obvious choice. All right, John A. Lewis is my coach of the, uh, coach of the season. Yeah, that no argument, uh, no arguments from me on that. Because um, Popovich was kind of expected to be rebuilding victory on the fly, but not many people thought John Aloisi would take this Western United side and actually return them to the finals, let alone win the win the win the league. So he deserves a lot of credit on a third stop to do what he did in year one. Well, especially because um, on Football A to Z, uh, the one with Sappers and Archie, they had Aloisi on this week, and he was talking about how. He didn't get the Adelaide gig because they were pretty well set on Carl Viet, understandable. Um, didn't get the victory gig, and I think it was Newcastle, not the most recent appointment of Arthur Pappas, but the one before that with Craig Deans. And he, you know, missed out on all of those gigs, and you know he, he's got a point to prove, and I would say that he's gone a long way to proving said point. Now... It's a bit like Ange Postcoglu when he yeah. took the Brisbane job. He had a massive point to prove after missing... The Adelaide job and the Melbourne job, so very similar mentality there. Yes, and look, it, it just bring it back to Brisbane as well. It has to be mentioned that you know he did have them one game away from a premiers plate, uh, and then twice ninety minutes away from a grand final as well. So it's not like he, you know, was dreadful for four years here in Brisbane. And I kind of feel like if one or two things had gone differently in that final season, he might not have left. But it is nice to see uh, several of the um, card-carrying members of the Aloisi Out Brigade from the late part of last decade suddenly wondering why Aloisi was out at the Brisbane Raw. But anyway, I'm going to leave that. He quit, people. He quit. 
Yes. Let's not revisit old history. So you don't want to talk about any of the Orange Sundays then? Uh, not today. Okay. All right. We are now on to the uh, Raw-specific part of the show. We have spent a good 40-plus minutes on the league, and now we'll go through the uh, Raw season in a little bit more detail. We won't rehash a lot of the things that we've been talking about for the last four-plus months in terms of you know the issues that the squad has had, but we will try our best to uh, keep it all... Keep it all as succinct as possible, and we will start with, um, well, on a bit of a sombre note as well, and it, uh, we'll say get well soon, Dave Pure as well. Uh, he's currently on a medical leave of absence from the Raw, the CEO, and uh, several times guest on this podcast, and we hope that he'll be uh, back in the job before too long as well. And uh, I think I speak, yeah, speak for all three of us when we say get well soon. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Uh, now, on to the football, and... There has actually been a Raw game since we last recorded a Brisbane Football Review proper, and that was the Australia Cup playoff where the Raw travelled down to Western Sydney Wanderers. Went down early, but then some uh, second-half changes uh, turned the tide of the game. The Raw won 3-1, and that got them into the national round of 32 again, which is honestly, for me, more of a relief than anything, Adam. Yep, it was a relief. I think uh, it was almost unimaginable that uh, the Raw won't be playing the round of 32. And thankfully that they they showed up and did the business in the second half because it was looking fairly bleak. Uh, I think either, I think both I think Wanderers will be particularly um, annoyed that they didn't take the opportunity. But uh, but yeah, look, uh, Raw won the game. You know, we need to be Luke Ivanovic uh, really really sort of stood out in the second half and um, Cyrus Demi finally getting a goal against A League opposition. Yes, and it was a, it, it was a long t- it was a long time coming, Scott. It was, and Warren Room went for broke at half on the brought on Cyrus Demi, Luke Ivanovic, and Nikola Milosevic, Milosevic, and the three of them combined completely changed the game for the Brisbane Roar in the second half. It was a, it was a much improved attacking performance in the second half, and they were well worth the win in the end. Again, it's a matter of relief, really, that the Roar are not one of the two sides out of the Australia Cup, and it'll be good to see them in the national round of 32 in a couple of months' time. With the, Not much else you can really say. They did what they yeah. had to do. Well, the draw, I think, is going to be taking place on the 22nd? 2nd of June. Yes, of June. So maybe by the time you listen to this, the Raw will know their opponent. I believe it is going to be an open draw at the national round of 32 since, thankfully, there aren't any border closures for us to uh, be dealing with this time around. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that is... Uh, where we are at with that competition and yeah a bit of other news as well the Women's Centre of Excellence and Youth Academy has begun construction will be finished by the Women's World Cup in 2023 and also it sounds like that will be the home game for the Raw NPL side Scott and we're deploying Adam to be our regular correspondent on the progress of the facility up there in his neck of the woods it's, two, it's two minutes away from and work consistent feedback Adam two, two, two minutes away from work so two, two. well we want daily we want not daily but weekly reports on the progress please so they're, they're going to have to shoot me off with a shotgun soon that's how close it is but uh, yeah look just, just one thing on that story as well I just want to make um, also make light of as well that while yes it is um, the Raw Women's Centre of Excellence and also the Youth Academy base as well I think the one uh, look I'm going to say that the 
issue that was the bit of news that was sort of slightly glossed over is that Morton Bay United and Albany Creek Excelsior will actually also be using those grounds as well. So oh. for, those, for those who are sort of, you know, think, uh, taking poking fun at my mate, the, the, the real mayor of... Um, Morton Bay Council, Peter Flannery. Um, look, at the end of the day, if the Raw decide in a couple of years they're going to they're gonna leave for greener pastures, I don't know where that will be, but um, that's, that the, the, the facility will still be used by Morton Bay and Albany Creek, who is their ground. So, so yeah, like, uh, I think as far as... I think that's something that was sort of glossed over or sort of ignored in the... Um, in sort of the whole sort of presentation of that story. So, um, and... As Scott just pointed out in the chat that it will be the training base for the kids as well. So, Adam, in about 10 years when my son's uh, part of the Raw Academy, you don't mind uh, picking him up while I try and get there after work, do you? No, I don't mind. Good, we've got Not a babysitter. Fun. Perfect. <laughs> That's a binding contract, I heard it. <laughs> and we'll fi- finish off the uh, other news stuff with uh, talk of Jay O'Shea and Scott Neville playing for the A-League Men's All-Stars against Barcelona. The game happened. I think it finished with a Barcelona win. Look, Barcelona, Barcelona won the end of the day. But look, yeah, that was actually quite enjoyable. Uh, I know, I know, we we're always skeptical of the motives, and uh, I know Scott absolutely detests these these games and all that. But look, I don't think it was that bad. Uh, it could have been a lot. It could have been a lot worse. Um, obviously, uh, like I said, seventy thousand at a core stadium. And uh, and look, it would look like a good night. Um, obviously, hopefully that you know this that Australian football gains some benefit from that. But um, look, I I'd certainly think that that All Stars side you know, at least put their foot forward. And the, the sort of the murmurings of oh, it's going to be an absolute thrashing to Barcelona. Well, that certainly didn't happen, did it? It definitely did not. And I will also point out, you know, I've had my issues with these games as well. But you know, I thought once I started to see it like it was a um, you know little bit of midweek light entertainment like you know have you been paying attention the cheap seats master chef or whatever rather than you know a massive be all and end all football game i enjoyed it like it, i didn't watch a whole lot of it because it was my mother-in-law's birthday so that was also on but i yeah there was something to enjoy of it and it was just midweek light entertainment in the end it was Good bit of fun. Barca players got a bit of a holiday to uh, Sydney and the Raw uh, had a couple of players involved as well. Now, let's move on because I think Scott may... Good call not coming to me to talk about this. We don't have time for my take on how ridiculous (laughs) this concept is. No, and if we really want to insert it, we can just copy and paste from about a month ago when they announced the game. Now, re-signings. Anton Milanaric, the defender, makes his loan move from Sydney FC permanent. Henry Hoare signs a contract extension as well. Now... We'll quickly touch on the Molinarich uh, move because there were a few people, some uh, former media members, having a massive meltdown about this being the doom and gloom of the club and you know the end of life as we know it, apparently. But uh, I think for a depth signing as a cent- central defender, it's fine. Like It's the sort of player that you, know, you need. He's still got a lot of development to do as a player, but like, I didn't see any reason to think that he should be turfed out you know, with the recycling or anything, I, I, I don't, I don't mind that move personally, Adam. I don't mind either. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, he's played a season under Warren Moon's, um, Warren Moon's uh, structures and whatnot. He'll be better for the experience this year. It's better than trying to go and find a centre back from elsewhere. 
uh, or or even you know, trying to bring him up through the academy. He's 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 you know, got you know, got proven pedigree. He's certainly someone I'm not relying on you know to to lead the line. Uh, you know, or sorry, say you know, lead the lead the back line. But certainly, you know, I think it's a handy signing. Uh, I think you know, I I got no problems with them making his uh his line move permanent. I hope you're not relying on him to lead the line. He's not the best centre oh, forward out there, but he's a perfectly fine <laughs> centre. He's perfectly fine central defender by A League level, isn't he? He's a very good young player. He's been a part of the raw setup for a year now. He's also got a bit of experience behind him as well, having played over in Croatia for a period as well, as well as at Sydney FC coming to their academy. So it's a good it's a good squad sign. They needed to needed to have a defender in the squad anyway. Why not just keep the one you have? It's not. Hopefully, you don't need to rely on him every week. But if they do, he's a he's shown he can can complement that backline quite well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Henry Hall, will, I think they didn't really have much choice but to uh, sign him to a contract extension because he is going to be very popular after uh, the breakthrough season he had as well. Uh, three players have had their departures announced. Rio Wada, who I think spent more time at the uh, top of the stands in Morton Daly Stadium than he did playing for the Raw. Uh, Nick Olsen was a little bit of a surprise, I think, not so much that I, I, I thought he put in a you know fairly impressive effort most weeks. Didn't always execute, but again, I thought there was something to work with as a depth piece there. But the big surprise, Alex Parsons. Now, we have talked about this, especially when the uh, news broke, Scott. But is it simply a case of just having too many players of that style in the in terms of the promising youngsters um, where Parsons maybe was just finding himself a little bit squeezed out? It did seem like there was one too many young, dynamic, wide player than the squad could fit in it, didn't it? It seemed like Alex Parsons, unfortunately for him, was the player who Warren Moon chose that was not the one to keep around. Was, I was surprised by that because last year, 12 months ago, I think back to our season recap, James, we were all thinking the next year is going to be a massive year for Alex Parsons, having a full pre-season in the first team and thinking of how much of an impact he would have. Unfortunately, none of that came true because of the injuries that he sustained and also he never then got his spot back in the side given the emergence of Henry Hoare so uh, it, I'm disappointed it's worked out this way for Alex but I'm sure he'll go and have a really good career somewhere else in the A-League and if he does I'm sure it'll upset the fan base it's not here in Brisbane but I'm not surprised that somebody in that young attacking dynamic group had to move on yeah, I think I'd like to wait to hear the full story first. Um, whether whether the Raw said he was no longer required or whether he chose not to renew. A bit like um, Cassini Yangi in Adelaide. At the end of the day, maybe the club wanted to keep him, but he chose that you know, for the benefit of his career that he was going to um, leave. So, yeah, look, it, it is disappointing as a Raw fan to see to see him leave because I thought, yeah, he's a player of tremendous promise, but... Look, as far as, you know, sort of, you know, eulogising and saying that, you know, oh, that, you know, the Raw got rid of him and all that, I think I'd want to wait till the full story emerges, if it ever does, about whether he he chose to leave or whether he was pushed. And that's my point on that as well, is, you know, it could have been uh, either way in that story. You know, maybe Parsons decided that, or maybe Parsons saw the writing on the wall and thought, I'm more likely to get game time if I go elsewhere, you know, insert club here. But you're right on that point, Scott, where we all thought, you know, well, at least I did, I thought he was arguably the most talented of that young group coming through, but he did pick up a pretty major injury uh, early on in the season, and that really limited his overall impact uh, this year. But 
I mean, they clearly raided him at one point. They did give him the 22 uh, shirt, and we did see that article come out from the Raw talking about how he, you know, he was trying to live up to the legacy of, you know, a former player who had uh, famously worn that 22 uh, jersey in quite a few uh, trophy-winning games. Hindsight, that might not have been the best pressure to put on young Alex Parsons, but that they did do that. I want to ask you about Nick Olsen, because I know you're a, you're a big fan of him over the course of the year. How surprised are you that he's moved on? For me, he was an okay squad player who could do a job if you needed him to, but I think you thought he was a bit better than that, didn't you? I thought he was a chance of breaking into the first team as a regular uh, wide player as the season went on. Um, I thought he might have been the, you know, there to push that uh, group of fullbacks, Hingett, Brown, and Josh Brindle South. But yeah, I was, a, I was a little surprised to see him go, but I kind of feel like that what was a pretty decent start, he wasn't really able to build on because of you know injuries, illness, and just you know much like a lot of the players in the squad, just an inconsistency of availability. But that that's where I keep coming back to it as well. Um, some of the players are raw are linked with because they will have to fill their holes in the squad. Uh, former uh, raw defender Michael Zullo, who uh, was with the club from two thousand seven to two thousand and ten. Pretty impressive. Uh, Debut from memory. He scored against, I want to say Newcastle on Debut? As I'm getting. Wellington. Wellington. Wellington it was. Okay, well, there we go. I was getting met with blank stairs. So I thought I was going pretty close. Um, And another player, uh, Oliver Bumal from Newcastle Jets. Only four goals in 20 appearances this season, but it is a very interesting prospect, at least in terms of the holes that we all feel like the Raw have at him. Yeah, but Mar will be a good good addition to the uh, squad if they get him. Uh, he, obviously, he was uh, yeah, as you said, four goals and twenty appearances for for Newcastle. But in a side that you know had uh, Becca Mikeltadze as as their you know primary you know, striker and goal scorer. Obviously, I think I, I think I'd like to sort of see how many assists he got because I know in the game that I saw him play, he he was very very influential. So uh, the fact that Newcastle let him go might be you know the raw a couple of other clubs gain. So. Look, I certainly wouldn't be unhappy if he uh, if he uh, chose the role. Yeah, I, I would love to uh, see him be one of those players that they uh, look to target to bolster their attacking stocks. Now, we will go through our squad review. Sorry, can I say one thing? No, about the, but like okay. The potential signing of Michael Zullo. I, I know a lot of people thought, oh, it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's a bad idea in truth to him coming back to the club on a one-year deal. If he's able, I think a lot of this is injury-dependent with him. That's why Sydney... Let him go. I don't. I think there's some concerns that he may not be able to play anymore. Play again with an injury. So, if they, if he's able to play on and you can have him in the squad as an experienced player in the team, James, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. Particularly given the fact that the Brisbane don't have as many experienced players as they have in the years past. There's a lot of really good young players coming through at the Raw, and I think he could be a really good experienced soundboard for some of the younger players in the squad. Also, they don't have many players who've Played, played in and won finals, and Michael Zillow certainly done that. So he could add a bit of experience to the squad if that is the if they are do actually sign him. And on that as well, like Zulo would seem to be a natural replacement type option for um, Nick Olsen as well. You know whether or not he's an upgrade, that's completely open to the individual's interpretation. But like, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him come back to uh, Brisbane, where he got his A League start as well before moving on to Utrecht. All right, now we will do the uh, squad review. We'll try and keep this relatively concise. Um, 27 uh, players used total in the A-League men's side. 
Um, Ramad Akbari, Tom Aldridge, Scott Neville, and Kai Truen all celebrated 50 games for the Raw. That's not counting their appearances for other clubs um, in their Raw appearances tally. And 14 debutants overall. Uh, Matty Steinman was the first one in the Australia, well, FFA Cup uh, clash with Penn Power. And then there was also Connor Chapman, who made his debut, I want to say, in the penultimate game of the season. It was two or three games yeah. ago. Oh, no, it was Anzac Day. Anzac Day off the bench against Victory. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, standing on the field with uh, Hinksy that day, which um, had me, well, sounding a little bit like Fran Drescher for the next week. <laughs> All right. Um, so, rather than going through player by player, I've kind of come up with a bit of a headline for the group of players overall um so we'll start off with the goalkeepers um 15 appearances each for macklin freak and jordan holmes or 15 starts is that scott on your list yeah um, no, it's 15 appearances okay total. 15 appearances there we go 15 appearances total freak started out uh in the starting role but then in january holmes sort of took over and what i thought was a pretty close battle early on. I think Holmes really settled into the role quite impressively and what about you guys? Do you think Jordan Holmes has done enough to be the undisputed starter going into next season? Starting with you, Adam? Ah, uh, yes. I think Jordan Holmes will be the number one going to the next season. Scott? Yep, so do I. I think, I think that Jordan Holmes is clearly going to be the number one going into the next season. He did a really good job when he came in. I think a lot of us thought he would be the starting keeper from minute one, but Macklin Freak did so well in the the FFA Cup, now Australia Cup, that he got first chance, but once Jordan Holmes got the job, he did quite well towards the back end of the season. Yeah, and I think like if you if you return all of those players, I think you're good enough at goalkeeper. Like, you know, not not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but there was always going to be a little bit of a step down going from Jamie Young, but I think Holmes is good enough to be a regular player um, when he's not getting uh, questionable red cards against. Western United, was it? Yes. Yeah, that was the Western United game. Yes. He's also an Australian youth international, went to the Olympics, so he's a player with tremendous potential as well. So it's a good goalkeeper to take a, take a chance on if you're going to bring in a younger goalkeeper. Yes. Uh, fullbacks, Brindle South, Brown, Hingett, Olsen, Isaac Powell, who was a non-playing member of the squad as he recovers from, I want to say, leukaemia. Yep. And Wish him all the best with that as well. Indeed. And uh, the makeshift fullback, Louis Zabala. Now, my overall uh, opinion of this one is it was a decent showing from that group of players, but health and lack of availability robbed them of any sort of consistency uh, to make a bit of an impact there. But in terms of attack, especially when it was Zabala and Brown, those two really made a big difference um, and provided the rule with a little bit of a spark. A lot of rotation amongst that group of players, wasn't there? No real consistent group over the course of the year took the left and the right spot. There was a lot of interchanging of those players. Again, there are, there are two positions where the Raw have a lot of energy in there. Wide players pushing forward a lot. So if they have a lot of games in a short period of time, James, it's very difficult for players in those positions to back up. But I agree with you. I thought Corey Brown down the left when he was available was really good. But Louis Zabala was the real revelation of this group, wasn't he, in terms of... We've all seen Louis play in the NPL, but he was a holding midfield player in, in that competition who got a chance at fullback in the A-League and did really, really well. I know talking to Chris Grossman, his youth coach, about how he's, he finds it easier playing at fullback than in the middle because of the time and space he gets to read the game, James. And you can really see he's he's added that to his game quite nicely, hasn't he? And he looks like... I don't know if he'll be a fullback long-term. 
but he certainly looked like he's stepped into the A-League level quite nicely. Yeah, he, he definitely I'm intrigued to see if he gets a chance in midfield at some point. I thought he might, but he did really well at fullback. We'll see if he gets a chance in midfield at some point. Yeah, Luis Bala, I think, uh, shows a player that, you know, obviously just takes opportunity wherever he's asked to play, and he certainly, you know, did a good job uh, at in that uh, right-back role. Uh, Corey Brown, I think, you know, going next season, I think injury ended his season. So I think he becomes, you know, he's at least the starting left-back going the next season. Uh, it be interesting to see uh, whether Jack Hingott uh, can sort of get back to where he he was, or whether you know he's starting to get become you know sort of a lot older, and you know obviously you know I don't think he played a full ninety minutes, or especially late in the season. I think he and uh, Louis Zabala pretty much shared that right back role in terms of minutes. So I think it'd be interesting to see whether he can um, get back to you know Babel being a reliable ninety minutes you know player. But um, yeah, and Josh Brindle South, I think you know. For his role as that utility that can play both sides, uh, look, as good, a good handy squad player, I think I uh, couldn't ask more from him. Yep. Uh, I will say on Hingert, and I'm fairly certain I've mentioned this uh, before on the podcast as well, I don't know how much longer he's got left as especially a wingback style fullback, but I still think defensively he is solid enough that however many years he's got left as a uh, fullback, as a fullback with uh, Raw, I think if he ever wants to shift into that right-sided um, central defender role, especially as part of a back three, I think that would probably extend his career by another couple of years as well because defensively, I still think he's there, but I do wonder if he's necessarily going to be able to contribute in attack as much because of, as you mentioned, Adam, the age and the injuries and all that as well. But defensively, I would still trust him you know, as much as any other player as well. But that is something that is going to have to be asked of Warren Moon and the Roar as well, where, you know, for a long time, those fullback mainstays, Hingett and Brown, even with Brown's uh, gap year down in Melbourne, or gap years down in Melbourne with the victory, you do wonder at some point, is there going to have to be discussion about a possible changing of the guard? I don't think either of them have really done anything major wrong to toss them out on the street but it might be something that you do have to start planning with, especially on that right side. Well, the rule, when you think back a few years, James, Hingott and Brown were the understudies to Franich and Steph Nudo, and they were able to have a really smooth transition from that those great fullback years with Franich and Steph Nudo being really key attacking cogs. I know they're defenders, but they were really key attacking threats as well. Transitioning to Hingott and Brown, that went pretty much seamlessly, so they might need to look at the, the next transition away from Hingett and Brown to whoever it might be. And it doesn't have to happen overnight. It can be a gradual two or three year thing. But they, that's something they might need to look at. Yeah. All right. Central defenders, uh, Aldred, Jackson Hart Phillips, Alec Mills was in the squad, but didn't actually get on the field. Yep. Correct. Uh, Anton Molinari, Scott Neville and Kai Truin. Uh, Aldred was limited to 15 appearances as he had a shocking run of luck when it came to, Injuries missing, I think, the first like three months of the season, give or take. I don't think he played before late January, did he? Okay, so he only missed about two games with all the COVID postponements, but either way, um, yeah, injury. It might have been even later, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, uh, but either way, uh, Aldred, you know, his absence was definitely felt, but the duo of uh, Neville and Truen were near enough to um, ever present in this side as well, where it wasn't 
as big of a drop-off as it could have been as well. And it seemed like they played a back four more than a back three slash five uh, this season, Adam. Yeah, uh, I think once Tom Aldridge come back, I think he allows he allows them to play a, a, a three centre backs and obviously then the higher higher deployed wing backs. Uh, but with him out, you really couldn't see anyone that does that sort of that sweeping sort of you know role as far as you know pretty much controlling the the back line. But uh, look, uh, Scott Neville and Kai True and I think had excellent seasons. Uh, of Neville, especially, I thought was was consistent. Kai Truen, he had a couple of games, you know, here and there, which probably weren't his best. But I think overall, I think his season was a pass, and obviously he got rewarded with a call up to the um, the Yolleru squad for the AFC Under Twenty Three Championships that's going on at the moment. Yeah, and also on um, Kai Truen as well, he did have to do well, for lack of a better phrase, the opposite of uh, Jamila Rankin of being a centre back that was deployed as a fullback at certain points in time later in the season too. He certainly showed his versatility, Kytron, no doubt about that. I think that centre-back group is actually a really, really solid group. James, if you can keep Tom Aldred fit next year, having him with Neville with the experienced players, and then you've got Milnaric and Truant who are younger, although Truant's got more experience now. I think it's quite a good group of centre-backs. And Kytron's actually, his development has been really, really good, hasn't it? And he went from being that young player who broke in just around the time of the COVID pandemic first emerging, and then the last couple of years, his incremental improvement on the field but also incremental increased game time has been really really impressive to the point where he might in 12 months time be looking at Kreitra and thinking he's a player who could move overseas to a decent level and do quite well because he's already played about 50-60 games add another 30 games to that in the A-League next year he might be the sort of player who can really kick on and have a have a really solid career not to the same level Brett Emerson did but in the same way of he, he broke in, played about 100 games here, and then went to a good level. I think that's the sort of model that you'd ideally want young players to have. And Kaitoran seems to be on that way. So I think the centre-back group is quite good, provided Tom Aldrich can stay fit, James. That's really the thing, is that he's got to be fit next year. He does. And it- I think 29 starts as well, most of any player in the uh, in the squad. I think that shows, obviously, that Warren Moon has faith uh, in him as well. Yeah, exactly, because as you mentioned, there were some games where we thought was struggling a little bit, Truen, but in his defence, he actually, you know, rebounded quite well. And that's one thing that has been probably the most impressive of his play uh, with the Raw, where he's, I would say, like, he's had his rough patches, but he's been able to play his way out of them. He never seemed to have two really bad games in a row, did he? He might have had a, a, a poor performance at some point. He bounced back from it really well, to your point. Yeah, exactly. Now, we will move on to the central midfield group. Now, these are the primarily guys that were uh, deployed in those two holding roles and a central attacking role. Uh, Ramadak Bari, Connor Chapman, Jesse Daly, Sam Klein, Jay O'Shea, and Matty Steinman. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've all kind of seen that Steinman just wasn't the player that we expected him to be when the Raw signed him. I do feel like it's not entirely on him in that I don't think it was... I think he might have been asked to do things that were maybe outside of his strongest skill set. But um, my overall takeaway from this group is Jay O'Shea, as strong as ever, and uh, just needs to get the right level of support around him, Adam. Yeah, look, I think Jay O'Shea, he's, he's your linchpin in midfield, but... Uh... 
I think they need to sort out around him. Who's who's going to be consistently there? I think the, this whole you know defensive midfield partner by committee between you know Ramak Bari and Matt, you know Matty Steinman and Jesse Daly. I think they need to sort that out. I think Connor Chapman might be the one player that has been brought in that you know you have you have you know Joe Shea playing 26 games, 26 starts as well. You really need to have. Um, have one of those those players, you know, match those numbers. I know Ramat Akbari played 25 games. The only games he did miss were when he was away on uh, international duty. But uh, look, I actually look at him more as a attacking midfielder more than a more than a centre midfielder. And uh, but certainly as well, maybe Connor Chapman might be that foil for um, JSA going forward next season as that, that pure defensive midfielder to allow JSA to be a little bit more you know, creative and go forward a lot more. And that could be all you, all you need is someone to... I think, I think, you know, we were saying this 12 months ago, quite frustratingly, Scott, but it feels like you, before you settle on your recruitment for this part of the pitch, you kind of need to work out what Jay O'Shea's uh, best role in this system is going to be. Absolutely. You also need to work out what the best role for Ramon Akbari is as well, because I agree with Adam. When he gets further forward, he looks more and more comfortable. So I think you need to find a player who complements those two. And in fairness to Connor Chapman, I think he can be that player. If you Again, he's another player with a bit of a checkered injury history, so they have to keep him fit. But when we did get a brief glimpse of O'Shea, Akbari and Chapman in the midfield three, it made sense and it worked quite well, didn't it? So I can see that potentially being a solid combination next year. Jesse Daly is a nice option in the squad. James is a, a depth guy to come off the bench and fill a couple of different roles for you. But th- those four, those four with the three, Akbari, O'Shea and Chapman, if that's going to be the midfield three next year, it's got potential. But I would be, to your point, start as a starting point, what are Jay O'Shea's strengths? How do we best utilise him? And then how do we best utilise Roman Akbari and then go from there? Yep, I think, I think that's exactly, uh, well... I hope that's exactly what uh, Warren Moon is thinking about as well, because if it is, then we're going to look like geniuses in a few months' time. (laughs) Now, uh, we'll move on to the attackers, and I'm going to cover this group as a whole because, well, it's getting late and I'm tired. And um, also, I kind of feel like these guys are also interchangeable. They kind of need to be evaluated together. So the attacking midfielders slash wingers were Adams, Henry Hoare, Jez Lofthouse, Nikola Milojuznic, Parsons, Wada, as well as the strikers, which were Demi, Ivanovic, and Lascano. Ivanovic and Lascano shared the golden boot with seven apiece. But I th- uh, much like um, some of the other areas as well, injuries and unavailability basically meant that this was a side that never was able to put together a steady and stable combination to that could have the right impact uh, enough times yeah uh, Scott was that you signalling to go not I think Adam wants to go okay. I, know, I, was just, I was just going to make the point that just, just looking at these uh, appearances you want to know where fundamentally it fell over for the raw and attack Eli Adams 4 starts Hall 17 Lofthouse 1 Milinovic 14 Parsons 9 Wada 4 Demi 7 Ivanovic 10 Lascano 14 like yeah, never a consistent trio was it yeah it was never like I said at the end of the day the Raw never they never settled on what their attacking front three was I know there were mitigating circumstances like injuries and whatnot, but at the, at the end of the day that's where the problem lies they need attacking player, player or players 
to be getting up to 20, 25 appearances, you know, for the club, you know, for, you know, 25 starts in a season, that they're going to get the output that they're expecting. Um, so, and look, I think, you know, Luka Vanovic, obviously, he was, he was a bit enigmatic at times, you know, uh, it's very polarising for the, uh, for the fans, you know, whether, you know, he either be rocks or diamonds. Um, Muliusic is another one that I think that, you know, obviously could have potential to go forward. But I think the success story of all that, and the one player I said, you know, of that list that I didn't expect to be amongst all the goals and all the plaudits was Henry Hoare. I thought he had a magnificent season. And, um, look, uh, he was rewarded with a new long-term contract, whatever that length is. Yeah. Uh, long-term is uh, subjective, isn't it, Scott? It means more than one. <laughs> with the rule, that's what it means. But with the A-League, that's so, what it means. Absolutely. It, I agree with that. Look, there was never a consistent front three in that group, really, was there? And Henry Hall was probably the standout player of the attack, James, in terms of what he did in terms of in terms of taking his chance. Ever since he got that chance off the bench against Perth, I think that, what was that, late December, early January, somewhere? January. Uh, yeah. January, around there, where he got his chance off the bench. He scored the goal, and you could just see the confidence in him just build and build and build. He now looks like he he believes he belongs at this level. I think you speak to Warren Moon, and you, we've seen him play. You always knew he had the talent to do it, James, but he now believes that he can do that. It's the experienced players in that front third. Milos, when he was fit, was quite good. So was Luka Ivanovic. But again, injury, unfortunately, meant particularly in Ivanovic's case, he was unavailable for significant chunks of the season. But particularly the visa players in the front third, James, they're so, so crucial, aren't they? And for the Raw, this year, it just did not did not work for any of the visa players they brought in in the front third. And you really need that 10-goal-a-year goal scorer. And the Raw haven't had that for a while. I think that's probably, if you look at the off-season, that's got to be priority area number one. Finding that 10-goal-a-year striker, which they haven't had since the glory days of Adam Taggart, James. Yep, and that actually leads perfectly into our final segment of uh, the season review podcast, and that is, you know, where to next for this raw side? It was a disappointing campaign. I don't think anyone will tell you otherwise. They finished in 11th out of 12 teams. And it, for me, first and foremost, it comes down to revitalizing an attack that, for the most part, I would say, since the Aloisi Darren Davies season, hasn't really been as dangerous as we you know, would have hoped that it would have been. They did show signs of life uh, pre-COVID. I remember there was a game against the Wanderers where they came out of the blocks firing. And then in the uh, prior season to the one just completed, you know, there were those games against Adelaide and Melbourne victory where they just absolutely blitzed the opposition. But there just hasn't been that sort of consistency and reliability in attack. Um, and I, that to me feels like, whether you're going to go and bring in a player like Riku Danzaki or maybe look for an Adam Taggart-style striker, Adam, where, you know, that can sort of give them a reliable outlet in front of goal to bury the chances. Look, if for, for mine, I'm actually looking at number 10. I think, for, for me, uh, the, the, there are players there that are capable of scoring, of scoring you know, 10 goals plus a season that already are in the squad. I even I even think that Juan Lascano, with the right playmaker behind him, is actually capable of scoring 10 goals in a season. I just think that, that to me, is where where they need to find, where they need to sort of, their number one recruit 
They get a playmaker. They get number ten that you know that can provide you know, good service to to guys like a Lascano or a Miljusnic or a Ivanovic. And I think that's where this could be revitalised. But I think with the raw, I think the back line is fine. I think the midfield, you know, with Joe Shea, the pieces are there. It is attack it is attack that's needed uh, for them if they're going to sort of you know, revitalise and you know push for finals again. You see something different than I've seen in Lascano. There's no doubt about that, Adam. But they scored 29 goals last year. Last year, James. Only Perth scored less. That sums it up. They need more goals, and they need that. Sure, I said they need a number nine as priority number one. You can put one A next to that, a Riku type player in the front there with creativity as well. They need both. You need to have both those players back in uh, two players like that in the side, James. You think about all the really great sides the Raw have had, James. They've had a creative player in the front third with a natural finisher and they all need to get those two pieces right this year. Uh, to this point, the goalkeepers are fine. The defence is largely fine. You might need depth there. Maybe another option in midfield, but the priority has to be in the front third, finding finding a dozen or more goals in addition to what they scored last year. They've got to get back up around at least 40 goals, James. They just didn't score enough goals, and that's got to be where the improvement comes from. Yep, uh, 100%. And the question I keep coming back to when I'm thinking about you know the ways that need to improve it is would you trust a striker pairing of Luka Ivanovic and Cyrus Demi knowing full well the experiences that they've had this year especially Demi if you were able to get a proper goal scoring winger or goal scoring threat on the wing like a Riku Danzaki was or you know maybe not someone this good but a Milos Ninkovic who can sort of bring out the best uh, in a strike force that on their own may not be the most creative of options? Uh, look, I, I think, uh, yeah, it goes back to my point before. You, you get that number 10, and I almost think that any player in that any player in that squad can score goals. I think that's, I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, like I said, Cyrus Demi, I, I believe, and we will say the, the whole back end of the last season, he was just one goal away from finding some confidence, a bit like Henry Hall did, that I think he just needed to, to, for the luck to drop and him scoring. I don't know if uh, scoring, you know, in a in a cup playoff would equate to that that you know, the confidence booster. But if he was to get take his chances early next season, he's he's someone that potentially could be a ten a ten goal season scorer. So I think yeah, I think the, the pieces are close as Warren Moon was quoted a number of times. I think this Raw squad are just a couple players away from being a good team. Yeah, and I keep coming back to Lascano as well, where I wouldn't be willing to bank on him for next year. If if I were the one making the decisions, I wouldn't be banking on him. But when his first touch was working, he was in dangerous positions and creating opportunities. I kind of feel like we're going to hear in a few months that, you know, he just didn't settle into Australia as well as um, they would have been hoping. But yeah, I, I think either you're going to need to find a Priyavich or a Ninkovic. They, surnames don't have to... Why not both? <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I, trying really, to... Really, that's all you need. That's what we're talking about. You're Broch and your Borussia. Yeah. Okay, look, we don't, I know the finding players exactly that great is not no sure thing, James, but that's sort of that's sort of profile of talent of of type of play you're looking for. Isn't it really? You're looking for someone yeah. who can finish like Borussia and someone who can be that creative fulcrum like Broich. 
hopefully you can find somebody as a tenth as good because those two were all-time great but if you can find players in that mold that's probably what you're looking for yep and that and that's what it all comes down to in the end is can you find enough players can you find the right players that can uh top off what is a squad that probably is missing that real top end impact player outside of O'Shea and I think there's probably a case to be made for Aldred and uh, stuff to be another one of those impact players but based on the injuries in the previous season you know you can't really rely on him for that at the moment well I think I think you summed it up perfectly there I think with the raw I think it's a case of you've got to find the right players and that, that's what, uh, if, if the rumours are, are to be believed about this, this marquee auction or, you know, the APL, you know, funding marquees, I think the Raw needs to be very, very careful about the sort of player, that they're not just getting a top player just for the sake of it to sell tickets and, you know, and be, they need to find the right players. There are some squads out there in the A-League where they're going to need all the help they can get. I look at a club like Perth, for example. But... I think with the Raw, they need to find the right type of player, be it marquee or be it a player that's you know, a skilled veteran that, that's served, you know, got a lot of experience on their belt. But as I said, I think the, the Raw, even though they finished 11th, I think um, I think there's certainly the rebuild is sort of, you know, it, it's, it's sort of on path. They just need to find the right pieces to, to make it all come together. Yeah. And historically, James, the Raw do this quite well. When they don't finish down the bottom, bottom two, three sides very often, when they do, they bounce back really, really strong. You think back to when they finished at the bottom in 2010, Ange came in or halfway through that year, changed the whole team and went and won the double the next year. Again, 2018? Yeah. 18-19, yeah. 18-19, they finished at the bottom, they changed the coach, they brought in a whole new group of players and end up finishing in the top four again. I'm not saying they're going to clear out the whole team again, but they do bounce back strongly from when they finished down the bottom, so hopefully they can do that again next year. And that's where I keep coming back to as well, where, look, I, I'm i talking about, you know, the Raw possibly only adding one or two players, but we also don't know what Moon and the football department thinks of these players as well. There is every chance that they may be thinking that we could be seeing as many as a dozen or more changes uh, in this side as well, depending on what he kind of feels about their, their play and efforts uh, as the season closed out as well because we did see Moon really starting to get frustrated in those press conferences as well but I will say that was an atom of my question that's all that was that well you you have that effect on people trust me we do (laughs) Uh, but I will you know say I am I am biased on this but I am also very glad that they have seemingly kept Moon on board as a coach for the coming season because based on how this campaign has unfolded I think there were a couple of moves of his that I disagreed with uh, some of the player management as well but I'm also not entirely sure that he was the, I'm not sure if you brought a different coach in it would have gone all that differently and I think you know I'm glad to see him getting a chance to try and rebuild uh, this squad for next year as well from a league perspective though the Raw have to think, okay, not only do they need to get better based on the competition that they saw this year, but I don't think we're going to have anywhere near as equal of an A-League season next year in the men's competition either. I think the like delays, which we covered ad nauseum in the first half hour of the uh, podcast, I kind of think that they were... That was a comfortable excuse. 
But I think, it, and it was probably also a bit of a great equaliser across the competition as well. I would not be at all surprised if you wind up seeing Melbourne City running away with it next year and it's a battle for second place. So I think not only do you need to build a squad that is going to be better on the competition that they face this year, but probably also on the assumption that the elites of the A-League are going to be significantly improved because they won't have the chaos that ensued in the opening few months of the season. And with the Silver Lake investment money, James, seemingly being available for teams to go out and sign mega marquee names, you can imagine the big clubs in Sydney and Melbourne will no doubt be looking to bring in big names, which could very well result in a... Well, I think Sydney will go hard, no doubt about that. They will they certainly... To. They will go hard in terms of rebuilding their side. Victory will, will always have a solid side. Western Sydney will try and win the off-season for the fifth year in a row. Shame for them, there's no trophy for that, but... Teams like that will go really hard James trying to chase Melbourne City. And I'm not saying the Raw can and have to go in that direction. But they've got to get it right, don't they? Yep. Because we have got we have got, you know, clear evidence of a fan base that is frustrated and possibly thinking about, you know, really just packing it in in terms of support. Do you think the fan base would, would be happy with just a big big star name for the first time? Or I think it would they would or fans would rather a team that wins. I don't think they'll be happy with either, to be honest. But uh, I think you, you. I think you'll probably need the sugar hit uh, in the short term of a marquee, but then you'll also need to find a way to build on that uh, with a successful product on the field. Yeah, look, I think as well, it's maybe not a case of, and I think that's the one thing of caution for the the bigger clubs like a Sydney FC and all that, and we saw it with you know with Alessandro Del Piero back in the day, is that just because they get a mega marquee player, if it's not the right fit for them, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to, um, they're not going to sort of, you know, improve as far as, you know, on the pitch goes. I think it's the one thing that we, that, you know, most people seem to have forgotten about the Del Piero era, is that while he was still at the absolute best, almost, and, you know, he was, you know, the best player in the league, the problem is that if you've got no players to, to, to match it with him, it's going to be disjointed, and that's what happened to that, that Sydney team. So I think that's where the Raw have to be careful not to just go and join the join the queue and get the first big marquee player that's going to sell a couple of thousand tickets for the first couple of rounds of the season. They need to get the pieces right. For a club like Sydney, you know what? Go nuts. Because at the end of the day, if they, if they miss the finals again this year, I don't think many people will be shedding a tear. Yeah, and look, that is you know the good and bad thing about being the position that Sydney FC are in, where, you know, if they're good, people will tune in to see them lose. If they're bad, people will still tune in to see them lose. Well, Sydney have got a big year coming up because either they get that shiny brand new stadium uh, to, to to play in, and they, they, they obviously need to uh, sell tickets. So for them, it's just important. Yes. Now, uh, looking back on our predictions for season 2021-22, we all got everything absolutely 100% right. There is no need to go back and listen to our season preview. We were spot on. We all saw Melbourne City uh, winning the Premiership, Western United winning the Championship, and Jake Brimmer winning the Johnny Warren medal. We are just that smart. Yeah. <laughs> all you have to do You're is a... ask us. It's all you have to do. <laughs> You're a bad liar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are a bad liar. Yeah, well, nah, again, I... my, my wife is very pleased that I'm a bad liar. Uh, like so, I think we did. I think I know personally. I know I did predict uh, Melbourne City to win the league, but, uh, but it went downhill from there. That's it. I absolutely did not pick Western Sydney to finish in the top two. Not me. 
I definitely. Somebody else made that prediction on my behalf. I think we all had the raw making finals, so. Uh. <laughs> anyway, that is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review and for season six of the podcast. So thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you once again. Hopefully, my contract is renewed for season seven. We'll be in touch with your agent. Great. Who's my agent? Uh, I don't know. The. I thought you were my agent anyway. The pigeon outside your window. Either, either way, either way, yes. So that is going to be it for season uh, six. We'll be back in the new year. Well, the A League new year. Once uh, we get closer to the season started, but the Brisbane Football Review is still going to continue rolling on in the meantime. Stay tuned for NPL Sunday every week that there is NPL football featuring Scott and Adam, and I may get conned into a guest appearance once or twice on that show as well. And um, yeah, we'll be back. We'll call you. Exactly. Talk to my agent. (laughs) But yes, um, should also say, as we do at the end of every season, thank you everyone for listening, for your support, both with the podcast and the interactions on our uh, social accounts as well. We do appreciate that. And a big thank you as well to Clutch Radio and A-League Live for bringing us on board for the coming campaign. We hope you'll have us back. And uh, if you don't, well, we'll just still keep bugging you anyway. All right, that is going to be it for the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the A-League offseason, but there is still plenty of football. Get out to your local NPL grounds where you can and watch the uh, local action, and we'll be back next season. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you later.